Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. All right, hello everybody. How's everybody doing? I am Jan Diedrichsen. I'm the executive director of Sundance TV and Sundance Now. And we are incredibly excited today to start the journey uh, of State of the Union. State of the Union is a project that came to us through Seesaw Films, our great partners on Top of the Lake and Top of the Lake China Girl. Great shows, they're great partners. And it is directed by Stephen Frears, created by Nick Hornby, and starring the incredible Chris O'Dowd and Rosamund Pike. Um, the show will be premiering on Sundance TV and Sundance Now in the spring. Um, and, uh, and now I'm going to introduce our moderator for the panel today. So Stacey Wilson-Hunt, Wilson she's an award-winning journalist. She's based in Hollywood. Uh, she's a former host and producer of Sundance TV's Close-Up with the Hollywood Reporter. She's a former Hollywood editor at New York Magazine, and she's currently a contributor to New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, and Fortune. So please welcome Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Oh. Everyone hear me okay? Oh, great. Is everyone hydrated, rested, somewhat fed? Ooh, it's a long few days. I'm so happy to be here. I love this show, I love these people, and it's a great combination, and I love this network for giving this show a home. So I will waste no time in bringing to the stage the creator and one of the stars, Chris O'Dowd and Nick Hornby. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. And Nick, we're so happy you made it. You had a little travel stress along the way, but we're so relieved that you're here Chris with us. Chris didn't have any stress. Chris, he was fine. I, got, I walked. It was fine. Yeah. I walked in. He's like having a coffee, you know, just like hanging out. So he's, a, he's talent, though. That's, that's their life. So before we move forward, we are missing a key element of our panel today. And I want you to explain to me where your co-star is, because you had a few choice, maybe reasons why she's not here. Well, as some of you might know, she recently lost an eye in a movie. Uh, <laughs> so she's still getting over it's that. a lot. Yeah. She's, a lot of nerve yeah. damage. Yeah. She's, she's very method. Very yeah. method. Yeah. <laughs> and you had another a, a possible explanation. She is, um, people don't know this about Roz, she's quite a personal person, but she's a big basket weaving person. <laughs> uh, there's the European championships around this weekend. I did not know that. She's representing she's her country. She's representing the United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it's a big deal. So good luck. <laughs> and, and we have to say that the eye thing has not helped her. <laughs> no, 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 she will not win. She will not win. And let's hope she doesn't poke the other one no. out with a bit of basket as well. Well, her presence is, is missed. And Roz, yeah. wherever you are, best of luck in whatever you're doing today. 
So before we talk about the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you came to this place in your career. And Nick, I wanted to know, you have broached pretty much every type of writing <laughs> on planet Earth, and you've survived and you've thrived, which is no small feat. I'd love to know, what was the first thing that you wrote that meant something to you? Where you, you reviewed it and you thought, hey, I think I might be able to actually pull this off, either as a passion or a career. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think it was the first thing I ever wrote, which I reviewed it and thought it was completely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> uh, and what was this and how old were you? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I was about 24, mm -hmm. I think, and um, I started writing scripts. I wrote about two or three of them. Mm -hmm. I was very satisfied with all of them. Uh, well, you, uh, movie scripts, I didn't know what kind of scripts they were, which was one of the issues. <laughs> Um, you kind of need to know in advance. People yeah. kind of talked for about an hour. I don't know what kind of script you call that. Okay, a play? <laughs> yeah, well, um, in um, the UK, we used to have a really great series called Play for Today, okay. um, where new dramatists would write something. That stopped in about 1978. Okay. I was writing probably in the mid-'80s for Play for Today, which didn't exist. <laughs> but that was the closest. Like, you were a throwback at that point. I was a point. throwback, okay. yeah. That's how a, a lot of network TV writers feel now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and when you read the, the, you know, your first piece of work, were you encouraged that you could actually pursue this as a career? No, and I've never, ever felt that, and I don't feel it now, wow. really. That's probably why you're successful. Um, uh, but no, I need... The first person to read it, I, I have to get them to tell me whether it's insane or not. I don't want mm. them to tell me that on page three it goes a bit slack or anything right. like that. I just think, is this total and utter drivel? <laughs> and Chris, and you've obviously written and produced and acted, what was the first thing that you created as an artist that gave you hope for, for pursuing this in the future? I know you studied acting early on, but was, was school the venue where you sort of gained confidence or was it after that when you started working? Still waiting for that moment. <laughs> uh, These people are too humble. Uh, you guys are too humble. I don't know. I think, without thinking about it in a careerist way, I remember being on stage quite early. I, I came to acting quite late. I was probably 19 or 20. <laughs> late? I, well, you know, in terms of, I didn't grow up wanting to be okay. an actor or anything. I was a politics student who ended up doing a play by accident and loved it and loved the sensation of, being in front of people, which was an uh, impulse. I was kind of a sporty person, hmm. so it was an unusual... What sports did you play? Gaelic football, <laughs> which is a real sport. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and how is it different from regular football? Um, and much more macho than it sounds. <laughs> it was uh, very our national sport, um, very strong. Basically, if you want to play it, mm -hmm. you are automatically like one of the top ten in the country. That's right. <laughs> I was number nine. <laughs> I was number 11, and I've never, I'm not Irish, and I've never done it. But yeah, I think one of the, the, the first plays I did was like um, A Streetcar Named Desire, and, mm. I, and I loved doing it. Who and did you play in Streetcar? I was Mitch, who's like the, the somewhat cuckolded um, guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not Stan Kowalski. <laughs> hey, I didn't, I didn't want to make any judgments yeah. in advance. Uh, so, yeah, that was probably the first time I felt mm. like, oh, I belong here in some way. Mm. Well, we're happy you're here. Thanks. And when did the two of you meet for the first time, and what were your first impressions of each other? We met 
on the set of Juliet Naked, <laughs> in fact, last, last year. We did. We actually met. I hadn't met Nick for ages. I came on to the project, I think, kind of late or something. And it was great, and the script was great, and it was all going wonderfully. And then we happened to be having a real difficult morning shooting some scene that we were kind of creating on the spot. And <laughs> it, tempers were becoming frayed, and, and we were like, none of this works. And that was the moment that Nick was like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't known that he was there. Um, but then he kind of helped us actually work it out. We kind of took an hour off. And well, it's nice to have the brain trust. On yes, the side, right? for sure. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to know, Nick, what inspired you to take on this particular format in State of the Union? And also, speaking of State of the Union, if our own State of the Union can't happen this week, as was planned, I'm very happy that we're celebrating this state of well, the union. Well, yeah, I I'm actually much more excited about this one. I was playing the long game. <laughs> you were. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you looked at things in around June, July, yes. you could absolutely have predicted. We, that we this all have a, a much happen. broader perspective of what's going yeah, on yeah. here than we do, so I appreciate you doing that. But what uh, what what you've you've worked in so many different formats at this point. Was this the next logical iteration of, of it, your well, it, There was no logic to it at <laughs> all, really. It had come up in my head a couple of times that writing 10-minute episodes might be interesting. Hmm. And one was because of um, the Vimeo show, High Maintenance, oh, yes. um, which I loved. And it had never occurred to me in this new era that we're in that it doesn't matter if something's 10 minutes, mm -hmm. and in, in their case, it didn't matter if it was eight or 12 minutes either. It just goes up there and, and people watch it. Right. And, and that kind of got me going a bit. And then um, Reese Witherspoon was telling me that she's going to do a ton mm -hmm. of these things. And I thought, oh, maybe it is Why can't a I? thing. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and then the next thing that happened was that I was stuck on so many different projects that I was mm -hmm. working on that were all waiting for cast and money and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it wasn't long enough to start a novel. I thought maybe I've got a month or a few weeks. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll try this 10-minute thing. And I'd, I'd had had the idea of doing something about marital counselling, mm -hmm. but not going in the counsellor's office. That right. was one We've of We've sort of my, seen that before, that part of it. The, 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 the marital counselling right, thing. Right. I think that not going in... Um, <laughs> is more interesting in some ways because if you go in, then people ask what they want to know and the other people have to answer it. But right. if they're not going in and they have no guidance, uh, then everything they say is, is kind of a mess in an interesting way for a dramatist. <laughs> They've got to prepare for the one that's coming. They're still recovering from the previous session and a lot of shit has gone down in their lives in the seven days since the last session as well. Yeah. So this all gets jumbled up. Hmm. in the 10 minutes where they're having a drink before they cross the but road. I do appreciate that they take time to have a drink before they go in. It's so British. Like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> You're meeting your estranged spouse, like, for a drink before therapy. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't use alcohol. I, I'm with you. I don't know why people don't drink during therapy. This, yeah. is, this is begging a lot or of questions. Or the whole marriage, even. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you know that Chris was the right, the right person to play this part? Well, I loved what he did. Mm -hmm in Juliet, and mm -hmm. Stephen Frears um, was already on board, and he'd worked with Chris before as well, so we were So he'd been vetted right. thoroughly. Yeah. He'd been vetted thoroughly. So it's, it's almost 20 years since High Fidelity with Stephen, right? Is Jeez there... Louise. Yeah, that made me feel uh, yeah. old when I looked up those days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and we've, we've been in touch yeah. ever since. Um, 
I, you know, I love talking to Stephen. He's had such a remarkable career. And, and how, and Stephen's obviously gone back and forth between drama and comedy for, for years. What, what perspective did he bring to the project that maybe you hadn't thought of in terms of the look and feel of it? Um, what do you think? I'm just glad he was there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, it looks much it looks nicer it looks than great. I thought a 10-minute no, series on television. No, it looks very fancy. Yeah. 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 I think he didn't want to mess with it too much, hmm. you know, to... I think he wanted to, to look filmic, and I think, you know, I, not to speak for him, but that would have been the thing he was most concerned about yeah. because it is quite a stoic piece. Yeah. So to keep people interested, he did move the camera a lot and lit it like he was, you know, lighting Lawrence of Arabia or something. <laughs> so, um, right, yeah, it was really like that. Everyone and, looks and beautiful looks, on yeah, screen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I find, in my experience with Stephen, that he always speaks very gnomically. Hmm. Um, in what so, way? Well, um, on the first day of shooting, I think he wasn't happy with it, and they did the first episode again yeah. the next day. Really? Yeah, and, and I said to Stephen, what, what happened yesterday? He said, I was doing too much. Hmm. And, um, he forgot he was making a 10-minute episode, maybe. And then I said, so what did you do today? He said, I didn't do anything today. <laughs> <laughs> he said, that's all I needed to do, nothing. And they get on with it. <laughs> and I, I, it took me back to talking to him about um, high fidelity, where I, he wanted me to go and see a cut, and I saw a cut. And then the next morning, he phoned me up, and he said, come and see the cut. And I said, I saw a cut yesterday. Because I'm not, like, that interested in seeing it. Like daily is interesting. And he said, we've done something, and it's a completely different film. In the day that you had seen yeah. the previous... And I went down and watched it. It's exactly the same film. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, what did you do? He said, you know that scene with the car? That's gone. <laughs> I, <laughs> but I think it is like Snow He's and a man Eskimos. of detail. A man of detail. He's a man I think of director's detail. a man of detail. I remember he did a thing with, when I worked with him on something else where we had shot my close-up and he had seemed reasonably happy with it, which is huh. the best you can ever get out of him. Yeah. And then he had turned the camera around and he had shot the other person's close-up. And the scene was kind of zipping along a bit better. And then he said, OK, turn it back around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the first assistant was like, what are you talking about? Well, O'Dowd's decided to do it well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing, he's so rude. So there was, there was an episode that was like two minutes short and he said, um, you know, I think we're going to need some more dialogue and I did some more dialogue and uh, I came onto the set a bit later. I said, oh, what are you up to? He said, we're doing, we're doing your new dialogue. And I said, how is it? He said, unspeakable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see a show about the making of this show now. So maybe, maybe in the, if there's a quote-unquote director's cut later. Also, it was the hottest three yeah, I was, weeks I was gonna ask that what, it's ever been What time of in year Britain. is this? Oh, yeah. People were, like, you know, gleefully walking around in the sun. I said, is this England? I couldn't believe it. It was right in the middle of our insane heat wave, which wow. is it's like the hottest since the mid-'70s. Wow. Well, I'm glad you were able to take advantage of that yeah. sun. So I, there's something I love about the narrative in that Roz's character is actually the one who cheated. And I think we're so used to seeing the, the husband character, you know, the guy is always to blame. I know we're all trying to work on that in our storytelling. <laughs> but Chris, what, what did you appreciate about that dynamic? Because obviously we come to learn that that's only one part of the problem in the marriage and, you know, they sort of wrestle with each of the roles that they've had. But what appealed to you about that sort of twist on the narrative? Well, the same, you know, that it felt unusual um, because it, 
seems to be in these situations that it is the man who's strayed. But it, 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 there's something, obviously, in a show like this, you go into the, it's kind of like seeing inside the sausage factory of a marriage. Mm. Um, and you see that she has strayed, but there are reasons behind it. And then it kind of asks the audience, is it okay that she did this? And, and can we empathize with why? Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, not that is it okay, but can you understand the reasons? And should they be together even? And you know, I think we leave the piece on something of a hopeful note, but certainly not a, a concrete one. So it leaves itself open to what, what, did, what do the audience want to happen to these characters? I guess they kind of invested in them enough that they want them to succeed in some fashion, but maybe not together. Right. <laughs> like the idea that every relationship should survive and that's what happiness is. is right. So well, that's the, the kind of big question of the show. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Some people are just not meant to be together. Right. And then wrestling with having a child and yes. how, you know, how much is that keeping them together, which is very relatable, obviously. Yeah, and I think that even if people don't have the same narrative as this couple do, that one of them has cheated and that has kind of had good reason to or whatnot, there are moments within it that I think anybody who's ever been in a relationship will relate to. Hmm. The, just the inner dynamics of feeling inadequate or knowing that you've just behaved like a dick and not <laughs> wanting to back down and all the baggage that all of the other arguments has kind of burdened you with. Um, it's often told in the silences of it. Uh, so I, I think people will enjoy watching it with their partner and kind of going, <laughs> you know, that's you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Free therapy. Yeah. There's another thing that's sort of going on in the script, which is that Chris's character is effectively unemployed. Mm. Um, he was a music journalist. And we're at this rather strange time in our society where people are middle-class middle what we call middle-class people, right. as in you know, university graduates and so on, are finding themselves in professions that are suddenly disappearing. I know um, the feeling. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we all do. <laughs> and, and, and quite often, it tends to be the men who have been very dreamy about this life right. for quite a number of years. Right. Um, like, of course I can make money writing about old R&B endlessly. <laughs> What, how is that not a living? And well, that's then, pretty much what high fidelity was about, right? Like yeah. this romance you, of yes. if you love something enough, you can actually you can, make a can, career out of it. And then we get to the 21st century and people are like, no, that was never a living. Right. <laughs> You've got to find something else to do. Right. So Rosamond's drive, you know, she's got, she works in a, a highly skilled professional job with lots right. of qualifications versus Chris's sort of, I, I give up, you know, this is what I want to do, it's not there anymore. Right. I think that's all in there in the sort of sexual dynamic mm -hmm. as well. And also the idea, if you're not fulfilled professionally, are you, can you be happy with yeah. your partner and yeah. sort of, can you each pursue your and dreams and then still be... can your partner be happy with you? And, right. Yeah. And has making the show made you see your own relationships differently in life? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it made me think of it differently, but it certainly made me recognize parts of it. Hmm. That, um, Did you watch it with your wife? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're saving it for later, right? <laughs> well, there's a story. <laughs> I think what I'm sort of proud of with the, the scripts and the, um, and the performances is that it, 
there are no easy judgments and it's so complicated. All our relationships are so complicated. Yeah. You know, every single day we go one direction instead of another and that takes us into a different place. And then 25 years later or 20 years later or 15 years later, you've got two kids, you've ended up nowhere near where you thought you were going to be, for good or ill. Right. Um, and that life together is made up of ridiculously complicated and millions of them detail. And, and I think that it's good on the detail. This it is. Trip. And there's a lot of levity, which we all need. <laughs> We're talking yeah, about this. Yeah. So Nick, it, your, your career has been so impressive. And what I'm most struck by is how often, when you've written scripts, you've had female protagonists. And I think you write female characters so beautifully. And I was wondering, what, what do you think male writers get wrong when you're telling these stories? Because here I'm thinking about Brooklyn and education, wild. Like these are wholly central female stories. And I think you did all of them beautifully. And I don't think that's common. And it's, and it's very difficult, I think, to execute, especially adapting Cheryl's book for wild, et cetera. What, do you, what are you bringing to those stories that you, is it intentional or is it, does it come easy to you? Well. That it certainly doesn't feel like the hard part. Um, and, and the same, the last couple of novels have had women at the centre as well. Um, I was always very perplexed by Wilde because over and over again, when we were doing stuff like this with Cheryl and Reese, people would say, um, how did you get inside the head of a woman? And I'd say, the woman wrote a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> and unless you're the kind of guy who says, oh, it's a bloody woman, I'm not listening to any right, of this, right. you know, um, which seems unwise in this case. Mm -hmm. yes. my, my job was not to get inside the head of a woman. Right. My job was to try and make her story cinematically and dramatically right. interesting in a right. way that, that worked. Right. Um, and an education, uh, I had to work quite a lot on a small sliver of memoir and, and flesh it out. But the, the, it was written by a woman. Um, and Brooklyn was written by a novelist who's a guy incredibly sensitive. But I, I don't think it, there's a great mystery to mm. it, to be honest. And, you Maybe know, it's because you treat them as humans as opposed to actually like acknowledging well, that there is a difference in the gender. I think that the different. I don't feel that there is a difference in the gender when it comes to... Um, emotional decision making and um, and thinking and uh, and I, I I live with women you know I'm my wife mother <laughs> right. sister I've lived with women all my life they're bloody everywhere aren't they, <laughs> they are. do you know a, a, a fact that will stun you fifty percent what I know <laughs> I've, I've been... when I was a kid it was like twenty yeah. <laughs> There weren't women when you guys were growing up. I think we figured that out. And, and on that front, I mean, we, we've talked so much, you know, I would say ad nauseum at this point about these issues, but they're worth exploring further. When, you know, you, you both kind of coexist between two worlds, Hollywood and, and the UK, and probably from a pleasant distance sometimes, when you look at all the stuff we're dealing with in Hollywood, does it feel familiar to the culturally what you're experiencing back home? Or does it feel different and how... Politically. Or just sort of in terms of gender representation? Because when I watch UK-produced shows... I find that there's a real natural gender representation, people of color, in a way that feels very sort of real life and not intentional, just sort of is. Like Killing Eve is a perfect example of a show that just seamlessly woven different people and it didn't feel like they were trying to do that. And I'm wondering too, along lines of gender representation, I mean, are you struggling with the same issues that we are? Is it, is it all one 
big cultural coming of age at the same time? Um, I think people are thinking about it incredibly yeah. seriously. I don't think there are the number of conversations about it that there seems to be here. Mm. It does, but you know, maybe people who feel unrepresented in Britain would disagree. So right. I don't, I don't really, I don't really know. All I would say is it doesn't feel like it's a constant, ongoing process because it does feel like there is better representation. Mm. I've got, I've got a theory which is um, that in Britain we have infinitesimally less money to make sure. shows with. So you have less content in general, essentially. I don't know about less content, but the budgets on the shows mm -hmm. are not so big. Right. And the reason I think that we punch way above our weight in terms of Oscar nominations mm -hmm. and making series that are seen here is because everything has to be really good, right. um, acting and writing, to compensate for the fact that there's no helicopter. You don't shoot like 50 pilots yeah. and then they don't hurt the shows. We don't shoot 50 yeah. pilots and we right. don't blow any shit up. Right. And, um, <laughs> and the blowing shit up is right. quite a masculine world. Yes. It's very hard then to find equality for women when you think, oh, unless the superhero is a woman, right. then it's got to be a, his girlfriend. Um, whereas us, it's like, oh, you know, we've got, $4 million to make a movie. It better be two people in a pub right. um, talking about their marriage. You know? And one of those has to be a I woman. I love those movies, personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we all love those movies. Um, we love all sorts of movies. But I, I do think that um, our care about writing, um, which is born out of necessity, hmm. has meant that we're a better part. Well, and I was struck by the show Bodyguard, which I don't know if everyone has seen here. Almost every key leadership role in terms of the professional jobs, the characters held on screen were all played by women. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything, because that's more of a thriller genre. Not the bodyguard, though, eh? Yeah. Yeah, we won that one. <laughs> Obviously, he, he was male, but, but his boss and the government worker, right. it was, oh, it was yeah. very... It was sad. I felt sad that it seemed striking, <laughs> because then I realized, like, wow, this is really distinct. So I, that's what really has stuck with it's me. It's funny, I didn't even notice that. No. But it's, we're, it's we're, good we're that you did beyond it, yeah. because we don't even notice anymore. <laughs> when, the, when the women start talking on screen, I just... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I heard you say backstage, Nick, that you don't adapt your own work, and I was wondering mm. why that is. For the screen, that is, a novel of yours. Boring. <laughs> I mean, yeah. is the short answer. Do you not, as a rule, you just don't? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, it takes about two years to write a book. Every experience I've had of making a film, it's been about five years from wow. beginning to end. So, you mean when you've written a script to when it comes to fruition? When I've written a book to when the movie oh, is made. Um, Juliet Naked was longer than that. Um, when I've written a script, it's five years. Um, and I think, do I want to be thinking about these characters hmm. in seven years' time? And I think while I've got any ideas in my head um, for new work, I would much rather do that. Um, and I like other people adapting. I, hmm. I've, I've met interesting people and... Who do you think um, did the best at work adapting your oof, novels? Whoa. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could have said the worst job. I said yeah. the best job. But in a way, you did say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you to decide, Chris. <laughs> I don't ask leading questions like that. Well, there's a rather beautiful mm -hmm. um, Italian adaptation. Oh, he's going to go this way. <laughs> uh, don't fret on any toes this way. Of my young adult novel, Slam. Mm. 
It's my favourite. Really? Not really, no. <laughs> but so it's you're saying one you can't that none choose. You can't choose. No, uh, um, I, honestly, I've, I've liked the people who've done them so much. It's mm. like you know, they say your books are your children, and you can't pick. And uh, and I and I think you know, everybody tried to make those movies. Nobody did it cynically. Mm. Um, uh, they, they did it because they loved the books. Um, I think that there are strengths and weaknesses. I'd say that the one that was most influential on in my life was High Fidelity um, because of the relationships that came out of that movie. And DV, who adapted it, is a very close friend and godfather of my son. Um, so uh, that one I feel very warmly disposed towards. Right. And it also probably makes a difference, too, if the director is also the writer, like the White's brothers. Like they, had, they had a different relationship with the material than... Maybe yeah. someone who hadn't written the script. Um, but they're all, you know, they're, they're all a mess. They all have very checkered history, and someone starts off writing them, and that's not the person who finishes writing right. them. And um, so, in terms of consistent relationship, it's quite hard. <laughs> of course, these these things take forever. Yeah. And if if the two of you could work on another project together, what would be sort of a dream collaboration moving forward, beyond the ten minute structure of a of a comedy? No, so it's got to be longer than 10 minutes. Whatever you want. Uh, I only work 10 minutes <laughs> now on. I'm looking at seven or six for the next, <laughs> next one. Um, Would you like to do something sporting? Yeah. The Gaelic football movie. The Gaelic football movie, there's never been one. No. Go on. It's a less sensual sport than you would. <laughs> the name would suggest. <laughs> um, I'd like to do something about you know, the back, the back rooms of sport. Yes. I'm actually the writing agents. a, what you call it, a gambling movie at the moment. Are you? Oh, yeah. And How's that going? All right. <laughs> um, but we've been kind of toying with the idea of, like, it, it's, a, it's based on a book about a, um, a gambler. And he ended up, you know, towards the end of his career in gambling, like, boarding, kind of betting on, like, third division, um, I love, Swedish I love football games. And I love stuff. these stories. Yeah, and I like the idea of actually shooting footage from the dressing room where it's clear that the game is far more important to the guy that has money on it than the people who are playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's usually where someone's taken a few quid as well. Isn't yeah, it? In yeah, the yeah. Swedish third division. We could do something like that. Yeah, yeah. So on the writing front, I would love to know what each of you would say is your most ideal writing condition. Do you work at home? Do you have to go to a cafe? Do you have any total silence? What kind of music do you listen to? Well, I could easily tell you what my ideal condition is. I love that, yes, please. Uh, but you have to understand I've never spent a single day in that ideal. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's ideal. Yeah, right. I'd like to move into shutters on the beach in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Nice. Yeah, yeah. A good one. little office somewhere there, and then go for a swim and a body surf. <laughs> <laughs> no kids involved. This does sound very ideal. Yeah. So what is your, mo your realistic working condition? Uh, I have an apartment, um, which is about 10 minutes walk from my house. And, uh, you know, it's nice. I, I really shouldn't complain. And when the kids go to school, I go down. Do so you have to leave there. the house? You have yeah, to yeah. put yourself in a new situation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you, do you write longhand at all? Do you do note cards? Do you, or is it all straight computer Word documents? Uh, it's uh, it, it, no longhand, uh, no, um, some cards sometimes, just, I mean, really crappy, not sort of pinned right. all over. Just it. to block it out. Yeah. 
even that is, is a very... <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I've never written a treatment and I can't. Um, so I tend to just sort of start when I, I know what the beginning is and go from there. That helps. How about you, Chris? Where do you do your good work? I do it a lot at home, which is increasingly a mistake. Yeah. It's a real it's not, pain. Yeah. And Long I, I, term can't be done, I think. No. And I feel like every office that I've had in a couple of different houses has turned into the box room. <laughs> where all the junk goes. <laughs> yeah. And now it's just as a one desk and a table and there's no other room. Like, I could barely stand up. Right, there. right. So, um... So you're going to get somewhere? I'm going to get somewhere, I yeah. think, yeah. And you're based in L.A. mostly now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've been in London for the last five months since we shot this, but, yeah, I'm in L.A. now. I was talking to Rosamond, actually, about she and I sharing an office. Oh, that's a nice she idea. She wants to get out. Yeah, I think it, it could work because she actually is a very close neighbour. Yeah. So we could get some of the same. But my main motivation would be to go house hunting with Rosamund Pike. Yeah. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be great? Just oh, uh, yeah, we're looking for, yeah, oh, nothing. Yeah. Just a little nest. <laughs> <laughs> I think the tabloids would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. bring it on. Um, and before we go to audience questions, I would love to know, is there a project, aside from a potential collaboration with your partner here, that you have that you wrote years ago that you sort of gave up on that you would want to resurrect now or maybe look at with different eyes? Oh, Something that you shoved so in a drawer? Many. There are so many. Um, I was very disappointed that I, I, I couldn't get a, um, an original TV drama off the ground, which I wrote two or three years ago. Um, and also, I wrote an original screenplay for Rosamond, which is all, almost but not quite. Okay. Got. So those are still viable, potentially? Potentially viable, okay. potentially. But you couldn't get a TV show off the ground three years ago? Or two years ago, no. They know you're Nick Hornby, right? It's not how it is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's, yeah. It's he Hornby. refuses to sign his scripts. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Nick Hornby, the writer. Right. And, well, and writing is I, still... But your name carries a lot of cachet in our world, so just so you know. Okay, whatever perhaps that's I should worth. move. <laughs> you, <laughs> it, might, it might be a different shift for you. How about you, Chris? Is there something that you tried to do early on that maybe now that you're an enormous star that you could get, you could get greenlit? Um, not, not really. So hot. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> it is warm. No, I, I can't think of anything except I was involved in a movie like a year and a half ago where we moved to New York and we were about to start shooting. It was myself and Julianne Moore and Nicole Holofcener. And it was a wonderful script, and it fell apart the day before we started shooting it. Oh, no. I, it's called um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, yes, I've heard of this it's movie. It's going quite well. <laughs> <laughs> going, doing quite well oh, yeah, through awards season. Right. So it would have so been you nice got if nominated. that had. No, I did not. Oh, I've missed the point of so the So you were going to be the I? Richard Grant character. Yeah, that's right. So you could be in Oscar season right now and poised yeah. to win the I best feel like he probably did a better job. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, I think yeah, it would have been great, a just a different spin. Yeah. Just a different spin. Um, but yeah, other than that, a bunch of half things that are half written and half mm. pitched. and but Nothing I'm going to put my flag to, you know. Probably smart. Yeah. We did a, um, a panel um, in London, and Stephen, who can be very melodramatic um, about his work. As, as you've told us, yes. Um, it really made me laugh because somebody said, um, um, asked us all what we were doing next, and Stephen said, nothing, I'm completely unemployed. <laughs> Which is so not true, because he's like reading scripts and blah, blah. 
And um, as we were walking off the stage, I could see some little old lady barreling towards him with this massive script <laughs> that completely serves you You should you never right. say that in public. And, no. and I heard her saying, um, oh, I won't repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, this is a great segue. So if you have a script you want to pitch, do not do that today, please. <coughs> um, but we'd love to take any audience questions. If you have a question, please, not a testimony. Um, and we have microphones if you want to speak into the microphone. Anybody? Come on, somebody's got to have at least. Oh, here we go. Third row, right here, sir. On its way. Um, I think it's really interesting that you did this in like a 10 minute format with 10 episodes. How writing and just making and editing everything, how was that different from doing something more long form, like longer episodes or a feature or something like that? Uh, well, I think it was just a more intense version of, uh, uh, of movies, really, because, you know, I started writing books, and books are kind of, they're not easy because they're long, but uh, you never have to cut anything that's going well because you're, you haven't got the space for it. If, if you want to write a, um, a funny scene that lasts eight pages, no one's going to say, yeah, it's funny, but it needs to be two pages. You can just have the eight-page scene. Um, you get to a movie, and the eight page goes to two pages and you get to the 10 minute and the two, <laughs> the two page becomes half a page uh, or that particular subject, I mean, we had one setting. So it, it's always the same. it's just like stuffing as much in as you can. I mean, I found that with movies that you finish a first draft and you haven't even said the thing that you started off thinking you were going to say and you have to wipe, do another coat of paint. And, and these 10 minutes, they were so, once I had the voices, um, they were so pleasurable to write that you could easily dribble out your time without mm. having got anywhere at all. So it, it was that. It was just keeping focused on what you wanted the story to do and what, what you wanted revealed about those characters and, and not take too long doing it, basically. Mm. Great question. I'm right here. There was a microphone on its way right there. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. This is a question for Chris. I know you've worked in TV and movies, love them both, but wondered uh, which you might prefer or the differences in working in each. I mean, I do like both. I like doing TV because you feel like people are going to see it eventually. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you make films sometimes um, at a certain level, and you're like, we're gonna, it's going to be uh, half of this is trying to sell it. And it feels like that's somebody else's job. So it's mm. kind of it makes it a bit more difficult. Um, and I like the speed of television. This one was particularly fast, I guess, because we kind of shot 12 or 13 pages a day, um, which is quite full on. Did you do one episode per day? Yeah, pretty much. We kind of, yeah, yeah, we did kind of an episode a day and then shot the exteriors at the end or something like that. Okay. But it ends up being yeah, 10, 11, 12 pages a day, which hmm. uh, That's is unusual. That's actually a lot for TV. Yeah, That's particularly fun. when it's just two people talking. So as a kind of exhibition of memory, it was. You're kind of on show, but um, I do I do like both because it's there's something glorious about doing a film because you know that there's a point that you're working to in the end, um, and it has maybe a point that you're trying to make. But I guess this had yeah. that. I think um, this thing about people watching TV eventually. I mean, I I was here ten years ago um, with an education mm -hmm. and. Um, and, you know, it's a film that launched Kerry Mulligan and we all got Oscar nominations out of it. And I was really proud of it. 
no one's heard of that film. Hmm. I mean, outside of these kinds of areas. And, and you couldn't have asked for any more right. than what happened to that movie. But people go, no. They know. really? They don't yeah, know? No, really, really, really. Oh. Um, you, I think you have to go out in the world to realize how right. little impact uh, art movies have. Actually. Well, it's the Oscars are, have struggled with this. You yeah. know, most yeah, people yeah. tuning in have never heard of half exactly. the movies. Yeah. We love them, but it's, we're not representative of yes. the core. Yeah. And, but that's a very difficult problem, because how can you give Os Oscar nominations for writing for things that are not really written, right. and, and where people are hiding behind green masks as, as well, <laughs> really act, acting? Um, but, uh, you hated yeah. that Ninja Turtle movie. <laughs> <laughs> No one's going on about the it. The TV stuff is really exciting. <laughs> well, he tried to get hired to write the sequel. And <laughs> yeah. He's, he has yeah I'm, sorry, I'm sorry we couldn't find a role for you in that. <laughs> I explained at the time. It was... And on that front, is, is there a movie you've seen this year, whether Oscar nominated or not, that you really love that has just stuck with you? And aside from Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I know is probably sensitive for you. Probably. Sure. What, what time? Uh, this... Or just Oscar nominated, or just anything you've seen, even at the festival here. Hey, you know what I saw, and I don't know if it was um, Private Lives. Is that the mm, name of it? So good. Gorgeous yeah. movie. Yeah. People can seem to talk uh, yes, about that yeah, one. Yeah. Oh, Paul Giamatti yeah, yeah, and yeah. Catherine Hahn. Oh, it's yeah, so it's really great. Good. Great. Yeah. And also, I love The Land of Steady Habits. That's oh, yeah. also oh, Paul's movie, Nicole yeah. Center. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I loved um, Leave No Trace. I thought it was Wasn't incredible. Wasn't that beautiful? And I'm, I'm really, very sorry that, again, it sort of got passed over. Yeah. Um, you loved Annihilation as well. Uh, Annihilation. <laughs> you um, keep track of the yeah. movies yeah. that you liked. Yeah. <laughs> he sends me texts. Saw it. Five stars. <laughs> it's a little group we have. I yeah. love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Does anyone else have a question before we wrap? Oh, right here in the front. Oh, see, now the questions are cropping up that people are inspired now. My question is about uh, it as a miniseries, and they're kind of becoming a lot more popular nowadays where the final product is kind of feels like a more fleshed out movie um, than a TV series sometimes. And I was just curious on how the writing process is similar or different than um, like that mashup of a movie and, and a TV series. Like, hmm. how is that similar? Have you done a lot of limited series work or writing? Me, no. 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 Um, I mean, I think that the opportunities that are being given to writers now are actually incredible, you know, because you're writing long form, 12 parts. It seems to me that all, all the cable stations that we love are, are saying the more complicated, the better, right. um, the more serious, the better, uh, doesn't matter. And, and uh, that's such a liberation, I think, for so many writers who've been struggling to work at that level of seriousness. Right. Well, it's also a huge boon for getting A-list actors, you know. Well, now that whole switch with right. A-list actors plus A-list directors. Right. Because um, it's a one-year commitment. And yeah. They get yeah, the yeah, nominations yeah. and, yeah. Um, is that, does that answer your question? The limited series part of it, I would say, is tricky in terms of, anyway, in my experience, because we're trying to sell a limited series at the moment. Oh, yeah, you can't be limited. <sighs> it's it's no, hard. it's got to go on. Because they put so <laughs> much money into the... <laughs> because they put so much money into the initial marketing for any kind of piece or TV, they want for that to have some kind of follow-through in a second season so that money keeps working upon itself. Right. So 
limited selling limited series for the most part is kind of difficult. It seems like that a lot of them are centered on true events too. Yes. It seems like that is or adaptations of memoirs or true stories That's that right. exist briefly and then yeah. and also But even with like a handmaid's tale, it's like that was a limited series that they just right. decided wasn't. <laughs> right. Which is great. Right. I mean and it's brilliant. I think it, the second season works just as well. But, right. but they I had imagine to when they were pitching beyond the source material for season two. I've always That's enjoyed right. the affair. Yeah, I actually I mean I haven't watched it, it but that seemed to be like about an affair that <laughs> we're on series nine or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just stop calling it an affair. Yeah. You've got to be single call by it now, a, right? Call it the affair. <laughs> just call it dating. The date, affairs. Or, 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 <laughs> the affairs and murders. Yeah. It was a long, dramatic affair if you did watch the show. Did you see I, it? No. Four affairs and a funeral. <laughs> That's your next collaboration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've nailed it. But I think I think the anthology piece of it is huge too. The Ryan Murphy School of yeah. He has a rotate. He has yeah, some yeah, of the same yeah. actors, and he's it's a drama, but it's because it's a rotating cast. It's marketed for Emmys as limited. Right. So I think there are different ways to kind of get around that that so concept. Is this intended to just be the bit and not a second season for State of the Union? I, if I were to do a second season, it would be a different couple. All right, I'm going to go. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be Chris and his new wife. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he walked out just as I was trying to explain. We <laughs> <laughs> have to see if fans like it first, and then you can talk about season two. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Okay, one more question. Uh, let's go in the back right there. Hi. Hello? Yeah, hi. Uh, question for you, Nick, um, or you, Chris. Um, when you write, how do you know when you're on to something that has legs, and how do you, so I imagine you have a lot of ideas where, like, that could be interesting, um, but then you sit down and you're like, oh, it's just not here. Like, how do you, do you have, like, is there a point at which you're like, this, this is definitely something, like, I'm going to finish it. Like, how much yeah. time do you give yourselves to make I, it? I, I feel that there comes a point. I, I mean, because of you know, like writing books and, and, and movies and TV, usually um, I've got a couple of things that I'm looking forward to doing maybe further on down the right line that I haven't got the time to do yet. So I'm constantly distracted by those. Partly it's displacement activity. And there comes a point where either they collapse or I think, oh, that hasn't collapsed and I've walked all the way around it and actually, I think I know what to do with it, and they tend to stay around. Whereas some of them, I, I, I think, oh, that's an okay idea, but it's not my idea. I mean, as in, I don't think I can bring anything to it. Mm. Or quite often I realise it's someone else's idea and they've already written it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just didn't look at it that way. Um, and sometimes I, I get led into logical blind alleys where you think, oh, that's that's actually really boring um, and the ones that stick you know characters start to attach themselves to a piece of narrative or the other way around and I'm thinking about it for a while and there comes a point where I think it won't go away and I know the opening and I kind of know the middle and I know how I want it to end it's time to go and do you often write, start writing something in one format and, you, and then you say to yourself this is actually not a movie this is a show no I've never done that never done that never okay. done that no. interesting well, thank you all for coming today. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thank Best you. of luck at the show. Thank you.